Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. For today's show, I'll be answering a few questions from past guests of the podcast. The episodes that they were most recently featured on will also be linked in the description of this episode in case you want to go back and hear us talk to them. But every time we have a guest on the show, we like to give them a chance to ask us a question at the end just to sort of keep a dialogue going. Because, you know, on a show that's kind of partly interview-based, sometimes the hosts don't really get a chance to talk as much about their own thoughts and feelings around things, so this is a chance for our guests to ping us with some stuff that they would like to hear us talk about. If there's a question you want us to answer, you can go to Patreon to make that happen. All right, before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area, and to think about the ways that you benefit from colonialism and, you know, wrestle with that, right? Whether that wrestling looks like finding ways to give back, whether that wrestling looks like fighting prejudices in your mind or or voting for legislators who, you know, give a shit about this stuff, um, th- there are a lot of ways that you can be a little bit more conscious of the world around you and of the people whose land you are on who uh, are, you know, being screwed over by your elected leaders. On another kind of serious note before I dive in, because I think probably a lot more of you care about this show and about me, uh, like a lot more than I'm willing to let myself believe, uh, I have been having a really hard time recently. Um, You may or may not know this about me, but I've had a pretty serious alcohol addiction for the better part of the past decade. Uh, It started when I was in my like late teens, and at some point before this show started, I started to feel like I had a kind of grasp on it, and I had sort of at least started to get sober. Um, and and since 2016, I've been, like, managing to deal with that, and I've been, like, mostly sober. Like, I haven't really had a drink except for, you know, on a rare occasion at, like, a wedding or something, I'll have a glass of wine because I knew that that was what I could handle. I have since relapsed a little bit uh, this past winter. I uh, let myself have a little bit more than usual, and uh, ever since my body and my brain have been fighting to have more and more of it. And I've been managing not to drink anymore since then, uh, since that isolated incident, but I'm still dealing with the sort of emotional side effects of it. It's it's complicated. If you aren't someone who's had like a substance abuse problem, this probably sounds wild to you, but picture it this way. Let's say you really want a cheeseburger and you're like trying not to eat a cheeseburger because diet culture has gotten into your brain. And you eat a cheeseburger once, and then every day you're, like, craving a cheeseburger, and you're like, okay, well, I'm still not going to eat the cheeseburger, I'm still not going to eat it. But then wanting that cheeseburger makes you, like, short-tempered, and denying yourself that cheeseburger makes you less of a good friend to people, and then, like, instead of eating that cheeseburger, you eat, like, a pepperoni pizza every day, so, like, you're still kind of functionally doing the same thing, you're just, like, replacing one addiction with another, and uh, also being an asshole to everybody that you love, because 
the cheeseburger craving is like making you like a less pleasant person to be around. Um, That's a ridiculous comparison because food is not the same as, you know, drugs and alcohol. But maybe that will resonate with someone. I don't know. The the point is, uh, I've been in a bit of a relapse the past few months, and that has come with a lot of uh, struggle in my like personal and professional life and emotional baggage that is coming up in ways that it didn't before. Um, nothing is like, you know, completely falling apart or anything, but I've definitely been in a bit of a crisis and, uh, it has sucked a lot. I am getting help. So I I don't want you to worry about me. I have a good support system here. I'm going to meetings. I'm talking to a counselor, the people who I love and care about in the real world know about this. And, and I'm being open and transparent with people about stuff. I, I think that I am on the up again, but I don't know. I, I wanted to be transparent with you as well about this because probably I am not the only one <laughs> here who, who has these kind of problems. There, there are probably a non-zero number of you listening who are also going through hardship. Maybe not addiction necessarily. Maybe you're recovering from an eating disorder or or maybe you are having like a mental health crisis or you're you're burning out or or something you know maybe whatever it is that you're going through you deserve to know that you're not alone <laughs> and that you know i am not ashamed to tell you honestly that i am going through hard shit that there is shit that feels like feels like it has shame attached to it for me but i'm still willing to open up about that and talk about that and i think that if you have shit that you've been going through alone, I want to encourage you to not go through it alone. Um, you know, shame around substance abuse problems and and eating disorders and and depression and anxiety. All of these things can be be filled with shame and stigma, and they can be really isolating. And you shouldn't go through that by yourself. You you shouldn't. <laughs> You shouldn't let that isolate you. So if you need resources or just to like tell a person that you're going through shit and and hear back from them that they also give a shit and get it, um, please like don't hesitate to hit me up, okay? Uh, I, I'm not, you know, going to be able to be your like emotional rock to lean on. Uh, that's a boundary I'm going to set. But like I can at the very least say, hey, I care. Thank you for telling me this here are some resources and and that's you know a good first step for you if if you have no one else to reach out to please reach out to me probably you have people to reach out to who you don't realize you could reach out to that has been a uh, major thing that i've been realizing recently um but yeah this this show and this this internet world that i live in has always been about community uh, this podcast in all of its iterations has been first and foremost about community about taking care of each other and about making sure that we all know that we're loved and so please you know if you're struggling reach out okay should we get into the actual show something a little bit lighter something a little bit more fun i think that is a great idea our first question comes from katie warren longtime friend of the show Canada's smartest person, one of my very favorite people, from episode 36, where we talked about soup and sandwich combos. Here's Katie now. Is there a food that you had to grow into? 
Okay, so I think about this a lot. Uh, as a parent, I have the unusual experience and privilege of watching people figure out what they do and don't like on a more or less daily basis, and also watching those same people change their minds about what they do and don't like also on a more or less daily basis, which can be really frustrating. Um, but, you know, as much as it can be frustrating and exhausting, it's also fascinating and, like, kind of makes me reflect on my own changing tastes. You know, as an adult, I don't have things that I hate one week and love the next week in the same kind of dramatic way that kids can. Uh, I tend to, at worst, middle on things and say, like, oh, I was fine, I'm not going to have it again, uh, and maybe develop a taste for it gradually, as opposed to kids who will just go, like, I love hot dogs, and then the next week be like, I can't believe you offered me a hot dog, you sadistic bastard. <laughs> but yeah, when I think back to my, like, childhood... I hated mustard as a kid. It was, like, too acidic and stinky and, and bitter, you know? The, the, like, mustard was just a really unpleasant flavor for me, and even the smallest amount of it could ruin food. <laughs> I never understood why it was a default to put it on burgers and hot dogs and, like, ham sandwiches. And when I would order from places, I would make sure to tell the waiters or the cashiers or whoever to, like, not put mustard on it. Like, we'd go to Burger King and I'd be like, please no mustard, please no onions, please no pickles. And sure enough, about half the time they would screw it up and put all of those things on it. And I would be, like, really, really crushed and not able to eat my cheeseburger. And, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, that sucked from a, like, food service standpoint. Like, you just, you, you, you listen to the kid when they tell you what they don't want on their burger, okay? That just, that sucked. But, like at some point something changed for me like I don't know if it was just that my palate developed over time because I started eating things that like had similar flavor notes so that when I ate the mustard later it was like not as much of an issue but by high school if there was mustard on like a sandwich or like you know if I got my McDonald's order I had like one lowered my expectations of fast food by that point and two like lowered my like pickiness a little um so like if there was mustard on it I'd be like okay like I don't love mustard but like this is fine you know I would still eat the burger um but I wouldn't choose to put mustard on my burgers like if I was making it at home I would leave it off but now, as an adult, I freaking love mustard. Like, I, I love all kinds of mustard. I love yellow mustard. I love Dijon mustard. I love grainy mustard. I, I love mustard with, like, copious amounts of horseradish mixed into it. I really love, like, a strong, stinky mustard. <laughs> There's, like, nothing better for me than that. And, like, I use mustard seeds in things when I'm cooking, and I like to eat mustard greens. And, uh, side note, you know mustard, like, the plant mustard, I mean, is part of the same plant family as cabbages and broccoli and kale and, like, all those other green kind of bitter vegetables that kids also have trouble with? That blows my mind a little bit, and, like, I think makes a lot of sense, right? That these are things that all are in the same family of, like, kind of challenging plants, for children. Uh, but, you know, if you expose yourself to something enough times, you sort of start to, like, accept it a little bit more. Like, especially with kids, you you show a kid the same food ten times, for instance, and, like, you as the parent eat the food and they see that it's not poison, they're going to want to try it. And even if they don't like it the first time, they'll know it's safe, right? And that might make them slowly, slowly open up to the idea of eating it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's it for me. Like, mustard is, like, the big one that I can think of here, where it's just, like... <laughs> Mustard and, like, mustard greens or whatever, you know? Bitter bitter plant flavors were not my thing when I was young and have, like, gradually become something that I think is just essential almost to a meal. Like, I really want that bitterness. And I, I love that. I love that our tastes can change. I love that our palates can develop. And I love that our tongues get better at tasting and enjoying strong flavors as we age and expose ourselves to more of them. 
Okay, our next question comes from Caddy Diop from episode 24, where we talked about okra. Caddy is one of the co-hosts of the Yeah! podcast here on the Upford Network and uh, is one of the loveliest people in my life. And I hope that we get to hang out sometime very, very soon. Maybe eat some soup together. Maybe eat some mostly soup. We like to eat soup together. That's not really summary, though. Maybe we'll have a barbecue. Anyway, here is Caddy's question now. What is an unusual sweet and salty combination? that turns other people off but turns you on food-wise. Okay, I love a sweet and salty combo. I'm like a real sucker for salted caramel and chocolate-covered pretzels and like peanut butter and chocolate and like any ice cream that kind of has any of those kind of notes in it where you get the the really sweet bites but also with the little pops of salt. That's my jam. Um, <laughs> I find you also get sweet and salty from a lot of cheeses. Um, so, so like in my job, I am now doing a lot of work with cheese, right? And that's one of the things that's fun about working with cheese is that you taste a lot of cheese. And uh, the the interesting thing with cheese is that I find a lot of them have, you know, kind of a sweet note that hits you first and then a salty note later. And I think that that sweet and salty combo existing within one ingredient is a really, really wild and beautiful thing. Uh, and I could go on and on about this, but bread won Munch Madness this year, not cheese, so I'm not going to. <laughs> So thinking about the sweet and salty combo, I think the best place for me to get this flavor combination is a breakfast place. I love going out for breakfast, whether it's at a dingy little diner or a fancy brunch spot. The whole ritual of like sitting down, ordering whatever the biggest plate of food is, drinking an unlimited amount of like probably mediocre coffee, that's like one of my favorite things in the world. I always order whatever plate has the most things on it. So not necessarily the most expensive, not necessarily the like, this is like a giant pile of eggs, but like a combination of things, you know? Like I want eggs, I want multiple kinds of meat, I want toast, I want fruit, I want potatoes, whether they're like, you know, fries or hash browns or whatever. And if it's possible, I want to make sure that there's like pancakes or a waffle or something on there or if there's not then I want like extra fruit and maybe some like cream on the side or whatever to dip it in. I like to make sure I have both the sweet and the savory covered by my breakfast plate is all. But here's the thing in Quebec where I live nine times out of ten your breakfast is going to come with baked beans or fevolar which I guess is like baked beans and pork like it's like pork and beans kind of thing. A little cup of beans you know and this magical and bizarre thing that we call croton. Um, so croton is a pork product. Uh, it's usually served cold or like at whatever temperature the plate or the room is. And it's like salty and greasy. And you can eat it like just with a fork or spread it on your toast or whatever. I, I love it. But it is kind of controversial. Like there are people who find it really, really unappealing. And like that makes sense. Like it's a force meat product made of like scrap pieces of pork that, you know, people don't want to go to waste. So they like grind it up and turn it into food. And it's kind of gray most of the Like it's at best it's beige, but usually it's gray and it's like lumpy. Like <laughs> if it sounds kind of gross by my description, like that's super fair. Like it's not, it's not like the most appetizing thing to look at. It doesn't have a bad smell it smells fine um and it tastes incredible but like if you hear that and you're like yeah, I, I wouldn't want to eat that i completely get it <laughs> i can't agree with you but i get it uh, but yeah i i love croton i'm not a huge pork person like the more something tastes like pork usually the less i like it um I, I like i like bacon but like if i can get beef bacon that has all the like smoky and like greasy notes of bacon 
but doesn't have the pork flavor. I prefer the beef bacon, you know? Um, and like, you know, sausages will have pork in them, but like they don't taste porky in the way that some things taste porky. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. <laughs> I have a, I have a threshold for how much pork I like in my mouth, I guess. Um, but Croton, like they do have a porky flavor, but I think all of the like spices and stuff that go into it in order to make it palatable as a, a you know, spread of, you know, mixed pork pieces, uh, whatever goes into that makes it so good for me. Um, and I could like, I could truly eat that like every single day and not get tired of it. I could, I could handle that kind of like pork spread every morning. And so for me, my like, favorite unusual sweet and salty combo and i don't even know if this is unusual or if it's just an extremely regional thing that some people in my region don't like is that i will take my croton and like spread them on my waffle or my pancake or whatever and then i'll put my beans on top of that and pour on just like a little maple syrup to tie it all together and like if that sounds like a mess like welcome to quebec our food is a mess and i love it i i just i love that that is my sweet and salty combo that like I don't know if it turns off other people. I don't know if it turns me on either, frankly, uh, but it definitely hits the spot. Maybe it turns me on. Maybe I get horny eating croton on waffles. Well, on that note, let's go to the mid-roll. Ooh, baby, it's the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of June, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There is literally no other way to force zero into six like that that was gonna be a force meat joke i don't know <laughs> you got zero pigs you can't turn them into six croton but you can turn zero dollars into six dollars there we go uh and if that math is exciting for you go do it leave a rating and review of the show and you can hit the link in the description to learn all about what the depot is doing Second thing here in the mid-roll, if you've been following the news in North America this year, you have probably heard a lot about the horrible anti-trans and anti-gay legislations being signed into effect all over the United States. Uh, things, you know, forcing teachers to out students to the government in order to prevent them from losing their jobs. Uh, parents getting arrested for supporting their trans children. Teachers not being allowed to talk about being gay at work, uh, lots of books being banned, like lots of really horrible, really backward shit. Um, and thankfully, here in Canada, there are slightly more protections for the queer community, but like there's still a lot of work to be done, especially when it comes to protecting queer and trans youth from abuse at the hands of conservative parents. You know, as someone who grew up not with a conservative parent, granted, uh, but in a lot of conservative circles, I have seen firsthand the kind of things that get passed off as just, you know, well, it's biblical to be shitty to these people. And like, that really fucking sucks when it comes from a parent, <laughs> you know, like, like queer and trans youth have high suicide rates and have a lot of trouble just like existing and being happy in the world already, you know, without having parents who treat them like shit for who they are. Um, so, you know, as much as it is good to be in a place where, you know, the government isn't trying to... That's the government right now. As much as it's good to be in a place where the government isn't trying to actively stop, you know, queer and trans kids from existing, uh, it's 
also equally important to make sure that like parents are treating their kids well, right? <laughs> like it, it starts at home, you know, trans kids and all kids really deserve to grow up in homes where they're supported and loved unconditionally and to feel safe spending time with their parents. That's a wow. What a fucking novel thought, right? <laughs> parents should make their kids feel safe. Yeah. Huh? Wild, right? Parents who don't do that, maybe think real hard about that. I'm going to read the sentence again. Trans kids deserve to grow up in homes where they're supported and loved unconditionally and to feel safe spending time with their parents. All right. Uh, so if you have a couple bucks to spare, uh, I am including a link in the description of this episode to a GoFundMe page for one specific case here in Quebec. Um, a kid, it's a, it's a trans kid whose family I've actually known for a long time. Uh, and they have one supportive parent and one unsupportive parent, as so often goes. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the supportive parent needs help paying legal fees to get this kid out of shared custody with the unsupportive parent, uh, because the unsupportive parent has been cruelly and unflinchingly deadnaming and misgendering and outing this kid in front of their peers at school, which, like, puts this kid in actual danger. <laughs> like, it is it is hard being trans and you know, not out as trans, but it is even harder and more dangerous to be outed against your will, uh, especially for kids who like, I'm going to, I'm going to get mad if I talk about it. It's just not fucking okay. Um, and so if you, you know, are hearing this and are getting as mad about it as I am, uh, consider hitting that link in the description for the GoFundMe, uh, tossing a couple bucks at it or, uh, you know, sharing the link around in your circles, because honestly, like, we live somewhere where there are protections in place, but as long as kids continue to be forced to live with parents who treat them like shit, those protections don't protect anyone, right? Those protections just look good on paper. So, you know, help us make the government put their money where their mouth is for this one kid, and it could also help set a precedent for future cases like this, because that's what happens with, with court cases, right? Is like, when one thing like this gets, like, ruled in favor of the kid, <laughs> every future case is going to be like, well, this happened that time, so, like, there's precedent. And precedent fucking matters when it comes to law. So, yeah, help make this happen for these people. I can vouch for them. They're legit. They're lovely. This kid deserves to have a better situation than they currently have. And uh, their unsupportive parent deserves to rot in hell. So please, you know, do what you can with this. All right. <sighs> I think that is it for the mid-roll here. Let's get back to the show. We have one final question. Our final question comes from Steven Davidson, a guest from last year's LGBBQ series. Here's Steven's question now. Question. What is the most queer thing you have ever cooked? This is a tricky question. Like, short of baking a cake shaped like two dudes fucking or like a rainbow flag like i can't really think of a way to make a dish overtly queer um so i'm gonna think a little more like abstractly about this <laughs> to answer this question i need to decide first what my definition of queer is in this context and i think the thing that feels the most true to how i use it when i talk about my own sexuality is like deviating from the norms that have been forced on me by <laughs> the like heteropatriarchal society that I live in. Um, so, you know, take, take that idea of deviating from imposed norms and apply it to food. I guess that would mean a dish that's unconventional, but delicious and really like could be conventional if we hadn't been told for so long that it's not. Um, but like also, you know, caveat, it's important to recognize like individual and like geographical context here. Cause like 
you know, let's be real, heteronormativity is like on some level a fairly universal thing, uh, but there is a lot more room for deviance when it comes to food. And even, you know, actually, you know, gender and sexuality things are also different <laughs> across cultures around the world. Like there are some places where it is a lot more okay and some places where it's a lot less. But like, overall, we say the phrase heteronormativity and like cisnormativity because they have become norms, right? And like all over the place, that is the norm, even if there are places where it's less like enforced. Food is a little bit less rigid than that most of the time, but like there are absolutely cultures where they have really rigid definitions of food. Like I, I work in a fancy grocery store that sells a lot of imported European products, and let me tell you, Europe really loves to be rigid about its definitions of food. You know, there are all these designated appellations for for cheeses and wines and and you know charcuterie meats, where it's like if it's not from this specific place, it's not that thing, <laughs> and like. That rigidity exists, you know. There are there are rigidities within recipes too. I, I mean, frankly, it's it's mostly Europe that that is this rigid. But like, it's a thing. <laughs> but the thing that I find interesting about that is not you know which places are more rigid or whatever, but it's what is weird somewhere might not be weird somewhere else, right? So like you know, obviously, different cultures have different foods, and something might seem totally normal in one place and you know, queer somewhere else. Uh, so, for instance, like, if you're not from Quebec, my description of Croton earlier might sound really, really unpleasant and weird. But if you're from here, it still might. But, like, you know, you at least are familiar with it. So it's not, like, super, super unappealing. But, like, if you're from somewhere where there's not a lot of pork, for instance, and then you also see a picture of it, and here, like, this is a dead pig that's been turned into gray taste like that that's gonna be weird for you you know <laughs> um so it's it's tricky right answering this kind of question about like queering food because like it's so context dependent um and for me the thing that's extra tricky about this is that i have always been kind of loose with the rules when it comes to my cooking and like i don't mean that to make me sound like a culinary badass or anything i'm certainly not <laughs> i just mean like I'm not committed to recipes, you know? I will I will get the sort of general idea of the thing, but I'm not necessarily going to follow step by step. I'm not necessarily going to follow an ingredient list. And a lot of the time I'm going to look at my cupboard while I'm making something and ask myself like, okay, what's something I can put in here that I wouldn't normally put in here? And then like find ways to make that work. And I think that's partly because I have a really good palate and I trust myself not to screw something up. But I think it's also partly just because I like to like experiment a little and play within those structures and like let things get a little weird you know <laughs> and and like letting things get weird especially in order to make them better or to like not better necessarily but like better suited for the people who are eating it or like better for using ingredients in a way that like feels ethical like there there's a lot of ways that you can kind of tweak things a little bit to like feel different and feel meaningful and to me that is the essence of queer cooking it's it's getting a little bit weird with things while working within a defined structure to make them work better for myself and the people that I love. So like a really innocent example is like, I like to put peanut butter on a cheeseburger, which like you don't do usually, but like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not normal. <laughs> or like using cornmeal or like the starchy potato water to thicken mashed potatoes in order to keep them like gluten-free and dairy-free instead of using milk to make them creamy or breadcrumbs to make them thicker. I like to grate an entire brick of cheese into stuff that doesn't usually have cheese on it because like, damn it, if I want cheese on any given day, I'm gonna just put cheese on a thing. And like, you know, that's not 
something that people turn their noses up at that often because people like cheese a lot. But like, it's not the norm either, right? <laughs> and I once made like a curry dish that was supposed to have, I think, mango in it. I don't remember, but I only had bananas. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> fuck it let's try this and like my roommates at the time made fun of me for for that but it actually tasted really good and then they were like okay well this is weird but like very good and i learned really recently actually that like that is a thing that exists in some parts of the world where there are a lot of bananas and people eat curry there just are banana curries so like (laughs) you know maybe that shouldn't be that surprising but i was feeling really like vindicated in that like 10 years later because like at the time i was like this is bizarre this is not a thing people do whatever my point is queer food is food that is unapologetically different from what people normally eat where they are and but it still has to taste great, you know? It has to taste great despite being unconventional, and it has to bring joy to the people who make and eat it, because that is what being queer is about, right? Being queer is about being yourself, even if the self that you are is different from the people around you, is it's not up to the like norm of the place where you live, but being yourself in a way that brings you joy, right? And, and I think that that is a thing that you can do with food too, right? You can eat food that brings you joy, even if everyone around you goes, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and like, you know what? Maybe they'll try it and they'll like it and they'll get it a little bit more. Or maybe they'll just go like, okay, well, you know what? As long as it makes you happy, I'm happy. But the point is, if you don't try the thing that you think is going to be good, <laughs> then you're not going to know, right? And like, you know, not to get all sappy about it, but if you don't give yourself space to to try the things that you think you're going to love and to share the things that you love with people, you're not going to feel as as fulfilled and it's going to weigh on you. So, you know, <laughs> queer yourself and queer your food if that is what you want to do and, and trust that the people around you are going to be accepting of that and love that. And, you know, maybe you'll discover something beautiful along the way. On that note, uh, I am really excited to announce that we will be doing our LGBBQ summer series again this year, and we are currently looking for guests to be part of it. Uh, If you're part of the 2SLGBTQIA plus community and want to be part of a month-long celebrations of all things queer food, please hit the guest application link in the description of this episode and tell us why you want to be on the show. It's important to note that like, while the series is called LGBBQ, it doesn't specifically have to be about barbecue because, like, (laughs) I mean, let's face it. A queer barbecue is whatever the heck we want it to be, right? We're going to have fun in the sun. We're going to toast some buns. We're going to banish guns. uh, Okay, I mean, it rhymed. It was unrelated, but it rhymed. And, like, fuck guns and the people who advocate for them. Anyway, let's talk about food and being queer and celebrate that together. Hit the link if you want to be part of it. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to join the conversation? You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod. You can hit me up at Tom Zalatni, and Teffer is at TefferBear. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gab, Kendallin, Carlea, Thomas, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, David, and Erica. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show and send in questions for these Q&A episodes if you want, patrons. You haven't done that in a little bit, but if that is something you want to do, please feel free. Send me a question. 
we'll answer it. If that is exciting for you, a non-patron, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod and become a patron. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, or by sharing this episode with a friend. Or both. You could do both, even. Wild idea, that. Our theme music is by Zach Mustard Seed Ingles, and our cover art is by David Forcemeat Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little What Mega Man boss would make the most terrifying kaiju? I, for one, want to be the first to welcome our new kaiju overlords. How would Adam Sandler fit in the MCU? I injected myself with the Green Goblin serum. Oh! Debate This is a podcast that asks the questions about your favorite video games and comics that no one is asking. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you download podcasts. And on social media at Debate This Cast. None of it's that so is mind close, control. Though. It's so close. It's not it's so close. It's- Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. (laughs) 